Welcome to Going Beyond the Scale. Hi, I'm your host, Jay Jacobs. Going Beyond the Scale is a podcast that supports a community of people who are in a curious conversation with themselves and others about opening up and exploring so much more about their life and well-being than just what's their size, shape, weight gain, or weight loss. All of our interviews are very open, vibrant, evolving, and they're always empowering conversations to support you both mentally and physically to begin where you are and with who you are. Everything we do and share is always through a lens to inspire people to live the life they love and to live it well. In each episode, we explore your whole life, not just a few parts or pieces of it, because we know and believe living your best life is always about a practice and it has nothing to do with trying to live a perfect life. Yes, we will have conversations about the tale of our scale, but always in ways that serve you versus slay you. We'll explore enjoyable and empowering ways to eat, move, exercise, lose weight, maintain weight loss, and a boatload of other conversations and concerns that come up around the often misunderstood and misused lifestyle term of what's healthy. We always run everything through a well-being filter to honestly look, think, choose, and live from a more empowering paradigm versus an old one. So everything in our community is fair game for exploration and discussion as we're always looking for new ways of thinking and living your best life. Well, that's what we're about. So if this sounds like something that's piqued your interest, we hope that you find today's conversation intriguing, interesting, and valuable. Today's guest is Dr. Robert Heizenga, known as Dr. H by millions of people all over the world because a little over 20 years ago, he was the medical creator of NBC's hit reality show, Biggest Loser. I am extremely excited and grateful because today I am back with Dr. Heizenga. It's been a while. It's been a while. It's been 10 years. Today is 10 years from wow. when, when you and I um, That's first, freaky. Well, that was 10 years was when we did the finale, but we met almost- 11 in, years ago. Yeah, 11 years ago. Yeah. So as we had a little bit of discussion about what I've been up to, and then you were gracious enough to give me a new DEXA. Well, you were our big kind of star, you know, when we started out, medical star, because Mm -hmm. you didn't qualify for the show. So you were a person that, you know, we do this relative, and you be the judge of that, thorough medical evaluation when you start. And, you know, of course, hopefully we'll get to talk about some of the stuff that transpired in various newspapers where they said it was all a scam workup, and, you know, you, you talk about that. But we did the evaluation in you, which included on everyone a stress test, which is you know, a pretty vigorous test to see what your heart does in terms of what your fitness is and what other things are going on. But during that relatively straightforward Bruce Protocol stress test, which in most individuals lasts only four or five minutes till they fall off, which is basically what a 95-year-old person could do. That was kind of the average biggest loser ability. And, there, and you're trying hard. Yeah. Anyway, we saw a potentially fatal cardiac arrhythmia yeah, the, in you, the which thing that was, was scary about actually that one was of the first that I'd ever seen. After you, after you went through the test and we went to Cedar sinai and you did all these different things. Cardiac. Oh, yeah. Every, consult. We, did the, we threw the whole book at you. Everything. And then what happened was you gave me the clearance. And so I was excited. Reluctantly. Okay, reluctantly. But I was excited you gave me clearance. But here's what happened. I, what I remember, whether you remember it that night, the first night we did our first challenge, which was like one in the morning, and we were going to do a 5K on the um, woodway, which, you know, is not easy on a woodway, especially when you're 400 pounds. But what happened was I was excited. With a potentially fatal cardiac arrhythmia. Yeah. So you bring, you have one of the nurses bring 
whatever that heart monitor was, and you hooked me up with a heart monitor. A holter like, monitor, right. Yeah, and I was like, well, why do I have that? I thought it passed clearance. You said, yeah, you did, but we just want to check you out. Hmm. So for me, it was like wearing a bomb. I felt like I had a 24-7 bomb on my chest, and I was only supposed to be 21 days. We got through the 21 days, and every once in a while it would go off or whatever, but it, I don't think there was, there was nothing that was an issue per se. But then you said, oh, we'll leave it on for another 21 more days. I was like, so a lot of people, when they watched the early parts of me on the show, mm-hmm. they were like, why are you so quiet? You're like a mushroom. Because, <laughs> because I literally was scared to death that I was going to like blow up, you know, because we were going through a lot. Yeah, you were. But what I found after going through all of that, after at that time, which I will admit something in a minute, but I was 100% compliant because you did scare the hell out of me of the fact that I had this arrhythmia, I got the test, I wore the CPAP every single night. I wore it religiously, lost 181 pounds on the show, and then probably felt a little bit strong and cocky and whatever, and then 10 years since then, I've been, of all the stuff I've done, I have not stayed compliant with that, but I did tell you on this Friday, I have a new CPAP machine. It's a new auto-adjust. I went back and got another um, pulmonary test. So with what we're talking about today, now we'll have a baseline with the DEXA. I'm going to be 100% compliant on a new auto-adjusting machine. And then in a minute, I want you to kind of share some of the stuff that you found out about what's worked well. Because I have done a great job keeping weight off. But what I did have a little bit of a concern, which you've seen in the DEXA, there's some things that I need to make some changes on. So I'm glad that, you know, you're going to Well, just, just to finish up on yeah. the sleep apnea, people don't realize it, and they, they want to hear about the behind-the-scenes experience of Biggest Loser. One of the little secret sauce things people mm. don't realize is, you know, we wanted to make a great transformation. You were a great transformation. But we think that that transformation would have been far, far more difficult, if not impossible, without your ability to sleep and your ability to get restorative sleep in terms of aiding your ability to do the exercise that was going to be asked of you. And so that's something that a lot of people don't understand. That's one of those little secret sauce things that we do. Because if you had said, Rob, I love you, but I'm not going to do the sleep machine, you would have been off the show. So, you know, we, we stack the cards a little bit towards that, but we do it in a very helpful way because that's something that... You know, I wish we could have emphasized more on the show that, you know, people that are overweight, you know, if if you know, we had, I think, something like an 85, 90% of the men on Biggest Loser needed a a sleep pep. They had obstructive sleep apnea. So this is not like, oh, it's like a rare case like you. The vast majority, if not almost every male, and then women, it was far less, but they were something like a third of women needed a sleep machine. And so this is like a really common thing in people that are 100 pounds overweight, which was kind of plus or minus 100 plus was the yeah. cutoff for the biggest loser. And I don't think enough people are aware of that. And, you know, you, you bring it out in spades. You know, we had one other guy. He was a uh, police chief from Cleveland, Jerry, I want to say Seaback. Hmm. And he was another guy that he came on the show, and this is out there, so I'm not giving away any yeah. HIPAA information but he came on the show and also really didn't qualify for the show he was in heart failure i mean can you imagine going on a reality tv show like biggest loser with heart failure but we kind of kept him away from you know the trainers that had no idea what they were doing and did our own thing with him for the first three weeks and you know he's like you one of these miracle cardiac contestants that in my opinion was going to die within a handful of years 
uh, without help. And, you know, we obviously get some criticism for the show, but somebody like you, somebody like him, yeah. that have potentially life-threatening conditions within the near future that we kind of got to, I feel really good about people like you and Jerry Seaback that yeah. uh, get pulled out of a, a really a, a downward cardiac potential spiral, although you were in a position where, you know, you really were even unaware, as was your doctor. Right. I had no clue. And the other thing, I know there is a lot of bad rap about the medical side, but I can only tell you for myself and then also being a dad with, you know, Jenny being on the show, I was grateful, and I'm not just blowing smoke, but I was grateful because from day one and throughout the entire show, no matter what was going on, we were always being checked, we were being monitored, we, we paid attention to at the end, the same type of thing that had happened. And then like anything else, we're, we don't have some contract where you're taking care of us forever. But for me at least, I got a chance to see what it felt like to feel good. And I had told my wife before I went on the show, I said, I've gained and lost 100 pounds a dozen times. I need to go away and like reset what that mindset is. So for me, that's why I wanted to come back again 10 years later as of today. I'll be 64 in a couple of months. And look, I would like to live a, a long, strong, healthy, vital life. I'm not looking to just live and be old. I want to be vital. So I say this was 10 years. I learned a lot. Now, going forward, I'm really curious to see what else can I do because I find that it's helpful to have other people realize no matter where they are. And I think that's what I love with Biggest Loser because against all odds, people saw if they got some medical support and other support, they can make a change whether they're on a reality show or not. And I think that's one of the things that's helpful. So, Well, let me reiterate yeah. something else you brought up about going back. This whole thing about, okay, you had this successful transformation, but you need a lot of continuing help there. You know, people think even professional athletes, you're Tom Brady, mm -hmm. you just go out there and you play that well. No, he's practicing nonstop and he's with repeated coaching and new coaches yeah. and he's got his own coach offhand. It blows me away that people like yourself or people looking at people like yourself think, oh, okay, uh, they have this transformation on the show. They go home and things start unraveling. Well, if you don't have the right help yeah. at home, if you don't have the right coaching, you had massive coaching, yep. psychiatrist, dietitian on the show. Do you think that something as strong as the brain with 12 <laughs> appetite hormones screaming, eat you stupid yeah. person, you've just been through the, the famine of your lifetime. Of course you need excellent ongoing coaching and help. And even with great coaching, you still probably every one year, every two years, at some relatively frequent interval, need to get back with other people of yeah. like-minded problems and go through this process again obviously for a far shorter period of time, but these kind of reunion camps, and we did a couple year yeah. year, yeah. are vital you know, to get not only the community of other people that have had some of the same problems, but to think about all the new insights. In the last 10 years since you were on that show, we would do it totally different, and that was part of the pain I had when Biggest Loser and its infinite wisdom decided to retool and do the exact same thing. It's laughable because right. This is an incredibly ever-changing field of the knowledge that we have and our different approach, not only to idealizing you know, what your ideal weight is, but how to get there and other new tricks we have to optimize not only your weight, but the bigger thing is your health, you know, and obviously yeah. weight is part of the way to get there. 
but you know you have to handle it from multiple different angles and you know just because you've been successful doesn't yep. guarantee anything for tomorrow now I, I told you when I was listening uh, to the podcast you did the recent one with Kelly Osborne and James Beecher that what I heard because I have your book I've read the book where did all the fat mm -hmm. go and I learned a lot from you during that time and things that but when I was listening to you the other day there were a lot of things that you were bringing up that I think at that time they weren't in the vanguard or we didn't know about. So what are some of the things that you, in that 10 years, because I know you mentioned intermittent fasting. I know you were talking also, which you've always been a big believer in the whole thing with exercise, but you were very clear about not just because of the weight issue, but just in terms of overall health, um, about strength and training and exercise. So what would you say in the past 10 years, what are the top three things that you've seen that are really important things any of us should really be paying attention to? Well, let me just say, number one is something that we knew then and, and would have just, you know, really vigorous fights with the head honchos at NBC and mm -hmm. they never really would let us go over. But the key thing is, you want to lose fat and gain muscle and gain bone and gain water weight. Okay. That has nothing to do with losing weight. This is not a weight loss show. This is a fat loss show and a muscle gain show. And there's a certain level of fat where you should never go under. Right. So people don't understand. There's something called essential fat. Mm -hmm. And without that fat, people that are born without the ability to make fat die very young. That's a very fatal disease. So there's essential fat and then there's excess fat. So we should lose all the excess fat. And then you want to gain muscle. You want strength. As you get older, you need strength. And it turns out you want to be well hydrated. And so that's something that you want to gain weight. When people go from unfit to fit, they usually gain 10 pounds of water, maybe okay. 7, 10 pounds of water. And also you often have a better capacity to hold something called glycogen, which is an inner store, energy store that's very heavy. So It's heavy? Of, why, is it, why is it heavy? Well, it's heavy because... Fat on your skin, that's adipose, that's very, doesn't have much water in it. Oh. Whereas glycogen, which is the instant energy that you can okay. pull out, the first you know, couple miles of a long run, that has a lot of water hooked with it. So for every you know, basically pound of glycogen, there's, there's maybe three pounds of water hooked to it. Whereas regular fat, there's almost no water in that. There's like only 0.2 pounds of water per pound of regular fat wow. under your skin. Wow, didn't know that. So, yeah, if you're gaining this heavy type of energy, glycogen, and you're gaining, um, you know, a little bit of water weight, there are certain people, let's say you, you get one of your kids, tries out for track, mm. you know, right off the shoot, they may gain 10 pounds of weight and nothing changes with their muscle or their fat right oh, away. Okay. And people have to realize that. You have a period, you may gain yeah. seven or eight pounds of fat. You have more salt, you eat a pickle. So people, the number one thing that has been there all along that people never realized and we begged it to and, and this is, I really think Biggest Loser did a lot of good things and one of the negatives was it didn't bring out the fact that weight is meaningless. What's meaningful is how much excess fat do you have and can you gain some muscle, can you gain some bone density, can you get your ligaments stronger? They don't weigh a whole lot of weight. Yeah. But you want to, one of the big problems we had in Vegas Sousa was a lot of foot injuries. People would be heavy. They're yep. working out a ton. Yep. And so all the ligaments of the foot, the bones of the foot, we get stress fractures. These are all things we want to get more dense and heavier. And it's not going to show up on the scale. So that's the number one thing. 
I think the number two thing is we're more in tune with some of the psychological variants mm -hmm. and reasons and background for, for gaining weight. And I think that we're more adept at trying to understand what makes somebody gain 100 pounds. And, and that's key. And then the, the other big thing that I think is coming out is that when people come on The Biggest Loser and they're 100 pounds overweight, that's so far down the pathological road. And what it turns out is that when you look at college students that are thin and perfect weight and you divide them, there already are 25% of people that are thin that are struggling to fully metabolize sugar. Wow. And so this is a process that starts way back in college with thin people. And we, instead of treating people that are 100 pounds overweight, we need to use all the tools we have today to identify people that are still thin, that are struggling with fat, and more likely high carbohydrate loads. And we have they, to retool their diets. Yeah. And to understand that whole mechanism that really, yeah, high sugar is bad, that's prediabetes and diabetes, but before that, high insulin. And high insulin, which goes up and takes care of all the problems initially. You are the perfect example of this. Rob, I'm <laughs> overweight, but I'm in perfect health, meaning my sugar's normal, right. my blood pressure's normal, yep. and my cholesterol's normal. Yep. Well, your sugar's only normal because your insulin, I'm starting to shout because I'm getting so excited. That's okay. Your insulin is three, four, 30, 40 times what my insulin is to keep your sugar okay. Ah. And so your pancreas is working overtime to make your sugar normal. What's that doing? High insulin increases your risk of cancer, increases your risk of cardiovascular disease, increases your risk of Alzheimer's, and you're still perfectly normal. But you weren't normal. We were too, dumb's not the right word, but we hadn't quite figured out that you were showing all these bad signs of excessive insulin, which is really deleterious to your health, but we didn't recognize it yet. Meanwhile, your body is just struggling in all these sideways ways to keep those numbers healthy, and it's actually putting on all this fat to try to save you. Interesting. And, but as a consequence, yeah, you're saving you short term, but then all these other deleterious things are building up. You know, all that weight ruins your back, ruins your knees, yeah. your hips. It, you know, makes you more prone for heat toxicity. It, the, the list goes on and on. It, it layers fat around critical organs. It puts, you know, basically toothpaste in your liver and your pancreas. And eventually you get to the point where, you know, everything just breaks down and you're really, really sick. Yeah. And so you had all the pre-signs. And even if you would have stayed in this miraculous, Rob, I'm normal, <laughs> but I'm 100 pounds overweight, you still statistically would have died far earlier yeah. than expected even with those normal levels. And, and when we put those patches on you yeah. and determine what your sugars are, even the one third of the biggest losers that had normal sugars, mostly the women, but some of the men, their spikes after a meal were way higher. So essentially no one on Biggest Loser had a normal sugar. Even when their fasting sugar was normal, the postprandial, the after meal spikes were way off the rack. And this all had deleterious effects on your health, whether you knew it or not. And unfortunately, doctors were just blind to all that. Yeah. So 
the other thing you so you mentioned about insulin resistance was which you've just described, which is a big deal, obviously. You also mentioned about intermittent fasting. You mentioned also about exercise. Realistically, all of those things, like, do you have a thought now from all the experience you've had with not just people from Biggest Losers, but just people in general? Like, is there some baseline of what you think people can do? I think part of it was, like you said, if you try to do it by yourself, you're probably not going to do well. You're going to need to have some other people supporting you where you're not trying to do all this stuff on your own because, as you know, people start a diet, which that just... That always just seems to fall Nobody apart. Nobody can be a professional athlete at an elite level by mm-hmm. themselves. No one can lose weight and maintain it by themselves. by themselves. You need a team of people with experience to what to do because your own urges and desires overwhelm your intellectual desire. Hey, I'd like to lose some weight. I'd yeah. like to feel better on my knees and my back. You know you want to lose weight and people tell you, hey, Jay, you'll be healthier if you lose weight. But to do that just based on your intellect and your desire, hey, you know what, I'm going to eat less, I'm going to work out more, that doesn't work. Mm-hmm. You know, and I can tell you to do that in a one-hour session, and I think I can fire you up and motivate you. And, and I'm pretty good at staring, scaring people straight. <laughs> you know, we, we did that with you. Sure. Uh, but it turns out that no one succeeds by that approach. So then what's the next fallback option? Well, I really think that we need to have places, and this is where Biggest Loser was very innovative, where we can send people for an entire week. So rather than me as a doctor spending an hour with you, which is our current model in this country, you come in for 15 minutes or an hour if you're lucky with your doctor, and you get told what to do. First off, doctors don't really tell you what to do because no doctors know what exercise is because they're very unathletic as a rule. So, and even if they did, you can't trans admit that and they're really you can't even give a book to read because it doesn't sink into the brain so the only way to show you how to sleep properly how to eat properly and how to exercise the only way in my opinion after seeing literally thousands of people is to show them mm. and we're just not set up as a country to do that yet but that's very successful and biggest loser i think our success rate was 99%. So we had a couple people, mainly if they had injuries early on, and a couple times for psychological reasons, they they just weren't treated right. And Biggest Loser, believe me, there are a lot of things that could have been done a lot better. But um, I think the cool thing was we did show that it really only took one or two weeks. People would be sent home. They had the idea, and they could carry on. So, I mean, the whole thing about staying there for months is way excessive. So, I think there's somewhere between a one to two week period where you need hands-on, in-house explanation for cooking your own meals, Mm -hmm. cleaning up after the meals, and working out and seeing, oh my God, I can do more. I can run no matter how overweight I am, get a little bit of wind on my face. And once you see that, then you can get it started. The problem is you need that same, in my opinion, process revisited at various intervals. Maybe that's once every six months, maybe that's once every 12 months, but it's gotta be repeated. It can't be just done uh, on, you know, once every 10 years, that's probably too little. Right. And so we need to get a system and, you know, I really think that's the way we take care of diabetes. I think that's where we prevent things from happening. But, you know, the country hasn't shown a desire to, to treat that now. And, and if I can just continue to ramble, 
for the first time it became urgent because it was always, you know, a guy like you. The cool thing about Biggest Loser is we proved people 100 pounds overweight are not stupid. They're very right. smart. We proved they're not lazy. People looked at Biggest Loser and it was cool. They saw these people, they, they're <laughs> a lot more industrious than sure. me. They try harder. Right, right. You know, this is not a lazy person. No, no. And this is not not a good-looking person. These are people <laughs> with really happy families that sure. have gotten great mates. Yeah. So these are like, these are these people have got it going. So there's something else going on, and we can go into the genetic and the things that they have no control over. But for the very first time, we saw with COVID-19 that being overweight, yeah, we used to do that, what's your inner age? And we'd yeah. say, you're going to die 20 years earlier. But when COVID came along, we realized that with the 100 extra pounds and the sedentary nature, your risk of dying goes up 20-fold potentially with the extra weight and the sedentary lifestyle. So essentially, somebody like you that started a show at 400, your risk of dying was you know, basically 20-fold higher than my risk, assuming we're both the sure. same age. Sure. And that's the, you know, that's probably more even than what a vaccine can do. So you getting down to a good weight and getting fit would be the equivalent of getting a vaccine. And you know how hard they're pushing vaccines. And so yeah. you have an idea that these lifestyle changes, you, we saw for the first time, it's not like, hey, you're gonna die 10, 20 years early. You're gonna die right now with this infectious disease attack on your system because you know COVID-19 was the disease of older sick people and people that are overweight and sedentary are relative to their their given yeah. driver's license age older and sicker and so i think that this pandemic scarily brought that point really home you know for people that you know were 100 pounds overweight well, you know, one of the things, I'm glad you mentioned also about with doctors and not understanding exercise. I do a lot of speaking. I haven't done as much because of COVID, but I do a lot of speaking, do some things with Cigna and other companies. Been a wellness ambassador with VaynerMedia for the past couple of years, working with millennials. And so I get a chance to be around lots of people. One of the big things that I hear all the time, I can't tell you how many times I'll have somebody say, I hate going to my doctor because they make me feel horrible. They shame me. They tell me the things I know I should do, but I get nothing from them. And a lot of people that I know, they just don't will not go to the doctor because they know what's going to happen. They just feel horrible. So I think one of the I don't know what happens in the world for doctors. I talked to Dr. Jen Kearns about this a little bit and I said, I don't know, but it seems to be a big problem. I hear from people time and time again. So it's bad enough. People don't know. And then they they're, they're probably scared and they go to the doctor. You know, yeah, you would scare us, but you you didn't scare us to scare us. You scared us to wake us up, and then you said, okay, you got to do this, this, Well, we this. at least had a solution. Yeah, you know, definitely. That, okay, here's a path, and, you know, I think that path has changed somewhat. Maybe mm -hmm. we would alter the exercise a little bit, but it's interesting that I really think to make huge changes, you only need 90 minutes a day, but, you know, people act like 90 minutes a day is unfathomable. And I think you're, you're an example where that is not. And right. I think it's, it's doable, but you need help. You need, number one, somebody to show you not to tell you to exercise. And there are very few doctors that will do that. And the other thing is you need a team of people for the very inevitable injuries. Yeah. If we tell you to work out 90 minutes a day and then think that you're not gonna need uh, a therapist occasionally or some injury treatments, I think we're really kidding ourselves. But, right. you know, we have to take those injuries 
with that treatment because it's just like giving you a blood pressure pill. There's side effects to the blood pressure pill. Yeah. There are side effects to the cholesterol pills. And we wish that weren't true, but we can work around it if we're knowledgeable of what those side effects are gonna be. And the same thing comes with exercise. Uh, whether you're a professional athlete or whether you're a recreational athlete, there are gonna be issues and we have to be prepared for them. And what happens is doctors are just so lazy and when you get injured, they go, well, of course, you know, you got to rest, you know, uh, and we're like, wait a minute, yeah. you know, and one of the cool things we did do on the show is we had people, as you know, with stress fractures of yeah. their foot or their, their tibia, and they just, we'd kick them in the pool and make them ride bikes, and they'd continue to lose weight. So we showed that, number one, if you're sedentary, you can do, you know, a lot of exercise, and maybe, you know, four hours a day is too much, but easily you can do an hour and a half, two hours, if that's the majority walking. And the other thing we showed is that, you know, when you get hurt, and you often get hurt, it's not ubiquitous, but, you know, maybe 40% of people would get an injury, you know, on Biggest yeah. Losers. But there was treatment for everybody, and if you have the right staff there, you continue to exercise. Yeah. And no one seems to acknowledge that either. So, we got the DEXA today, and which I'm not surprised, but, but what, from what you saw, there was things obviously I've been successful with, which is good, but there's other things, like I told you, I wanna be able to have even more uh, strength and longevity and just feeling fitter. So f without going into all the details, from that past, ten, from when I started at 400 pounds and where I was and, and kind of what we found today, what do you, what do you see? And then the other part that would happen to, to help me, and I think others, especially in my age range, mm. when we get older, how do you gain? Because um, you would suggest I need to gain some muscle, but um, is it a combination of the training and a certain way of eating? Like, what do you see? Is is what what is there somewhat of a prescription that would well, be? Well, let helpful? me back up okay. because you know I want to tell you what I see in you and. What I've seen in other Biggest Losers, you know, specifically Biggest Loser 8 has been intensively studied. You okay. were Biggest Loser 11, I think. Right. Um, the first thing that's kind of cool is, you know, a lot of people post Biggest Loser, and this is just, to me, miraculous, have maintained huge amounts of weight loss. And you're an example of that. I think you started out around 400, 400 and you're plus or minus 250 now. That is just a smashing success in the weight loss field. And that's comparable, if not a little bit better than if you had had bariatric surgery. Hmm. So that's number one is, that's an amazing success story that, you know, some percent, and Jen Kearns did a study specifically on this, Biggest Loser 8, and they showed, I think about 40, plus percent of individuals had maintained huge amounts of weight yeah. loss. So that's really cool. Now the other 50% plus or minus have gained essentially all their weight back. So you'd go, that's really terrible, which it is, and there's reasons for that, and there's, there's remedies, and there's things that could have, should have, would have been done, both to prevent them from regaining it, and now once they've regained it. But here's the other interesting thing. Some of those people that regained the weight still haven't got their diabetes back, still oh. haven't been put back on their hypertension medicines. And you go, whoa, how could that be? And the answer is some of those people are still working out. We did two things on Biggest Loser. We tried to get people to eat better and to lose weight and to learn how to exercise and to assist the weight loss and the weight maintenance. And so some people regained all the weight but continue to exercise. And when you're looking at longevity mm. or you're looking to address the things that cause you to die early,
there's two separate paths. One is losing centripetal fat, which is basically poison, mm. the weight around your waist. Nobody cares how much weight you have on your rear end. Nobody cares <laughs> how much weight's hanging off your arms. Interesting. It's all the stuff in the liver and around the bowels that's metabolically active fat. So some people have regained weight and they didn't regain it in quite the severe locations. Other people have regained weight and they continue to exercise. And so by exercising, they're healthier. They're, they're, they're less apt to re-get the high blood pressure and the diabetes as severe as it was before. And so even if we get some people to continue to work out and they regain, they overeat the exercise, so to speak, and right. they regain the weight, they're much, much healthier. So there's a couple things about you. Number one is when you started the show, you were as sedentary as sedentary could be. You had, as I recall, a sofa was attached <laughs> to your rear end. So now you are working out a lot, right. not, you know, much more than the average American. And so although I would like to change that a little bit, you're way on the, on the side that is uh, better than, you know, an average person age 60 plus or minus your age, you're way better. So just by you working out, that's 50% of the equation. You're healthier. And that's gonna, we haven't drawn blood on you today, but that's gonna roll into right. a lot of these metabolic things. If, if we compare your insulin today to where your insulin was when you came in, the exercise is a big part of that. The second thing is, you know, you're plus or minus, you know, 120 pounds of hydrated fat less 10 years later. Huge success. So we've got, you're one of the, the, the super success stories where you've approached it from both sides. You've continued to work out. You got addicted to exercise. Yeah. You realize Love it. you got a little bit of a brain thing mm -hmm. going, you know, an endorphin effect. And you somehow were able to maintain the weight loss, which is not easy. And we know that that's difficult, but we know a lot of people are able to do it by hook or by crook. We think a lot of it is, and this was based on another study that Jen Kearns co-authored, the people that were able to keep significant amount of weight off tended to work out not an hour a day, but 70 minutes a day. So that's, that's how much they were working out to maintain that weight loss. And the other people that gained all their weight back, they were on average working out 15 to 20 minutes a day. So some people were working out an hour a day, some people none, right. but it averaged up to you know, 15, 20 minutes a day. So we know those people working out a half an hour a day were way healthier, but that's not enough to keep the weight off. Got it. Because the drive to regain calories, to increase eating, it's a massive drive. You can fight it, but the only way that I've seen, besides drugs, and that's a whole other topic, besides surgery, and that's yet another topic, and none of those are perfect by any stretch of the imagination. Sure. And that's why 40% is pretty good because bariatric surgery, you know, we can talk about that, but that maybe is only 60 or 70%. And, you know, people that are 100 or in many cases, as you were, uh, 150, 200 pounds overweight, you know, the death rate of bariatric surgery at 2018, you know, you might have been signing on to a 5% chance of dying with surgery, a 3 to 5% chance of dying. So the fact that we had zero deaths from Biggest Loser, the show, yeah. attests that, you know, significant exercise and very, very low caloric intakes for the amount of exercise you're doing. You know, we averaged, you know, somewhere between, for some of the women, 1,000 to 2,000 for the men. So that's very low caloric considering how yeah. much you were exercising. But 
kind of in vain with where we're going now with diets, which is the ketogenic diets and the, the intermittent fasting and the intermittent fast, we were basically doing an eating fast. So mm -hmm. in other words, you were eating, what do you think your average calorie intake during the show was? Well, you, what you prescribed was 16, 20, I still remember, 1623. That was from mm -hmm. what you wanted me to do. I will be honest to say that I was close to 800 to 1,000 a day. Okay. That's about Let, what Let's say you were taking 800 and 1,000 a day, and you were on average working out how many hours a day, you think? Well, pretty much, you know, Jill's thing for us was walk to China. We were literally from morning, noon, and night, we were either working out on an elliptical, on a treadmill, or walking. We didn't do that much strength training, at least in our particular season, but we were literally always... Well, that's one of the shortcomings of it is, you know, for the show, if you were a trainer, you wouldn't want to do strength training because right. the show was about losing weight, which yeah. was one of the really sad things about the show because what you want to do is gain muscle, lose mm -hmm. fat, and you'll lose weight, but we want to lose it. And that was one of the disincentives of the show sure. that we're going to try to overcome on you. Because if I have one criticism of you, and you have mastered, you, you are so successful, but you've lost a disproportionate amount of muscle. Yeah. And I love your weight, but I want to balance it a little bit. And I think that knowing how much muscle you had originally and what genetically you can do, I think we can get 15 pounds of muscle on you and there'll be a couple of tricks and lose 15 pounds of fat and keep your weight identical mm -hmm. and you'll be then again far, far healthier. But um, I think that, you know, you walking and doing, you know, we call that kind of, you know, it's called zone two training yeah. or whatnot, which is a really good aerobic training. You were probably burning something close to 3,000 calories a day, mm -hmm. and your innate metabolic rate goes down when you're under that type of stress, but it still may have been 1,000 and a half a day. So you may have been, you know, net burning off 4,500 calories. We're giving you 1,000, maybe 1,000 and a half. So you're negative 3,000 calories. You know, that's close to a pound a day. Yeah. So you're in a net loss of a pound a day. If that's not starvation fasting, <laughs> nothing is, right? And so sure. we... Cha we championed the very first, basically, you know, ketogenic diet or fasting because we were doing an eating fast. And that's never been duplicated. And that's why we had this massive interest among all the scientists across mm -hmm. the country is we, for the first time, were doing that. And we were demonstrating essentially the elimination of diabetes, the elimination of hypertension, the elimination of hypertriglyceridemia. And so we had, you know, storied researchers with their jaws dropped because they had never seen the numbers and nobody really believed the numbers. And now, of course, everybody goes, yeah, well, of course, you know, you can start somebody that's in your desperation situation yeah. and, and fast them. You should always try to fast them for a week to begin this process of detoxing somebody like you. Yeah. Well, we did it. We did it from a different angle. Instead of telling you to go on a seven-day fast, we told you to go on a, a, a three-month you can eat your thousand or your thousand and a half calories a day, but we're going to take off 4,000 calories a day. And so we were, we were doing what I call a fast plus. You know, when you fast, you just lose whatever your metabolic right. rate is, which let's just say is a thousand and a half, two thousand calories. Here, you are losing more than that. So you were doing more than fasting. Got it. In terms of the caloric loss. And people don't realize that. And that's why we had 
you know, the most weight loss of any human in any study ever over the time frame of, you know, eight months to nine months, these shows would go on. Uh, you know, you and other yeah. contestants lost more than, you know, other people that even get the major gastric bypass surgery and certainly way more than any starvation studies. Well, the, the big thing, which I w really thank you for the opportunity, my main thing I wanted to do, like I said, was get a baseline of where I'm at. And because I deal with a lot of people and helping them on body composition, and I'm not the doctor, I'm not the subject matter expert, I'm a, a lay person that has the ability to kind of hear people, listen, and kind of open the door and direct them to places people they should hear, somebody like yourself. So my main thing was like, okay, let's look. It was very different 10 years ago, 400 pounds, and at one time I was 435, you know, I was in not a great place. Now that I had that transformation, and 10 years later, I have a whole different view, and I really enjoy helping people. What I want to be able to do with your help is come back to the place where, say, okay, we got a number here. You've given the prescription that the goal with this is to put on 15 pounds of muscle, drop 15 pounds of fat, and then let's look at, like, the markers I have, blood, all those other kinds of things, because what I think is important, I agree with you, I work with a lot of younger people, so I try to help them. When I'm doing body composition with them, I'm like, they got great numbers. I go, this is like a balance sheet. you got great assets here. If you protect them, this will serve you well. I've been a few years in front of you. I'm just telling you right now, look at your number, and they're, they're astounded at what that is. What I'd like to be able to do is continue to help them but then the people like myself that are 60, people going 60, 70, 80, whatever, instead of just kind of giving up and that, that's their lot in life, it would be interesting to see what we can work with. So when we come on the other side, it's like, okay, here's what I learned. I, here's how I was able in a healthy way to add muscle. When people say you can't when you're 60, it's all over. Like, no, I don't believe that. To be, I don't. How to do that, doctor? I don't know. But I'm, I'm open There's to no question that. at age 60 you can gain muscle. And okay. we saw that in numerous individuals on the show that, okay. you know, allowed us to. But on the other hand, you can lose muscle if you basically do solid aerobics and, you know, take in a hypocaloric diet. Okay. So this is something that you have to send a message to your muscles to hypertrophy. <clears throat> and then right after you work out, you know, there's timing of food is important. Okay. And type of food is important. But it comes down to resistance training will send a message to the muscle to either break down and give up or to rebuild. And so we're going to try to swing everything toward that rebuild, that hypertrophy. Okay. And there's definitely a method. And it's a little harder as you get older, but it's certainly not impossible. And we kind of know what your genetic imprint is for muscle, and mm -hmm. we know what you're capable of because we've seen you before. We've seen the muscle levels before. Yeah. And so we know it's possible. But, you know, it's like you got to go in and make it happen. Yeah. You know? Yeah, definitely. Well, I'm, It takes time, but it's definitely doable. Yeah. Well, that's what I want to do. I'm glad you're willing to continue to work with me to make that happen and i and i'm excited well, let's let's make it happen and let's try to see maybe in six months to a year give yourself a time period mm -hmm. with which to make this happen and then let's get in there and four times a week let's really pay attention to muscle hypertrophy and interval training okay definitely definitely so we've been together about 40 minutes um in kind of wrapping this up this has been great because uh, it really, I know there'll be a lot of people that will help them have that 
other understanding what we learned from the show, um, which I think will be helpful. Is there anything else, at least in today's conversation, anything else that you think might be helpful for people to think about or pay attention to and, and kind of close in? Well, I'm, I mean, the one big thing I'd like to put out there is especially young women. I think that another thing that's not recognized today, and it definitely wasn't recognized when we started Biggest Losers, that there is some non-genetic signals that we send the baby. So a mom that's overweight, hmm. forget about if her parents are perfect, all four of her four grandparents are perfect, and there's no obesity in the family. If the woman is overweight, she's going to send signals to her newborn baby that increases the chance that baby becomes overweight. Hmm. And so I think of everyone that I'd like to get together you know, I'd really love to get women of childbearing age to really take this seriously and to get down to a good weight and be fit and continue through pregnancy because that's really, I want to start day one in this whole obesity epidemic. And I think that's the key mm, that's demographic to start it with. And we can work on everybody else, but let's start really day one. And then the next group I'd like to work on are you know, kids coming out of high school and college that already have a stamp that they're at tremendously high risk. You know, and today that stamp just is getting imprinted earlier and earlier and you're starting to see it in preschool basically. But we need to start right with the moms and then just work our way up. And let's really concentrate on the younger generation. Um, and I think, you know, people that are 100 pounds overweight desperately need help. But I think we'd be short-sighted it's kind of like treating people with stents for heart disease. You yeah. know, I'm embarrassed because, you know, I went to Harvard Med School and my <laughs> classmates are inventing these fancy heart transplant techniques and they're curing HIV with these multi-drug things and they're, you know, in the Senate. And, you know, here I am and I'm like telling people, gosh, you need to exercise more and eat better. And I'm like, what happened to me? Where did I miss the boat? You know, but I think that, believe it or not, that's more important than some yeah. of these things because if we can get a hold of people early in life, I have the chance of saving a lot more lives yeah. with that approach than they do using these state-of-the-art techniques for people who are having chest pain and then they get a stent. Well, that's, that's we can save lives that way, but we're much better backing it up Earlier. and starting day one. Yeah, I love that. That's great. That's a great. That's a great way to end this conversation with a great beginning. I love that. Dr. Thank H, you. Thank Good you very much. Good seeing you again. Keep it up. I will. Thanks again. Bye-bye. Please share to your heart's content as there is always someone who's listening and reading the comments that says, that's exactly what I needed to hear. It would mean the world to us and others if you would please subscribe, review, and share this podcast on whatever podcast channel you listen to. Always be sure to check out our other empowering podcast episodes at goingbeyondthescale.com. Thank you again for tuning in and tag your it to create the life that you love and to live it well.